0: Greetings, Divine Spirit. Welcome to Deepen in the Divine Radio with your host, Scott Kreitza, author, intuitive, and seeker of the divine. On the show, you'll hear topics ranging from A Course in Miracles, forgiveness, communicating with spirit, and intuitive guidance. I'll also have special guests and authors to bolster your spiritual knowledge, practice, and experiences. So sit back, Close your eyes and get ready to deepen with the divine. All right, welcome everybody to the Friday, March 9th, 2018 Deepen in the Divine show. And I am so excited for today because we are going to have uh, Corinne Zupko, the author of From Anxiety to Love on. But uh, as I do every week, I first want to start before I introduce uh, Corinne with an actual uh, A Course in Miracles quote, uh, just because of my personal love with A Course in Miracles. And I know Corinne does as well, and it's quoted throughout her book. In fact, the quote for this week... Um, is from her book, From Anxiety to Love, and it's page sixty-four. And the quote is from uh, the text; it's chapter thirteen, section three, paragraph seven. And it is: Do not leave any spot of pain hidden from His light, and search your minds carefully for any thoughts you may, which you may fear to uncover. And I'm sure we're going to get into why you know this. Particular um, quote from the text was pulled out as we talk about her book. Um, But again, I am so grateful uh, to have seen our guest today, Corinne uh, Zupko, who is the author from Anxiety to Love, uh, speak at the 2018 A Course in Miracles conference, and that was two weeks ago in San Francisco. Uh, She spoke with uh, Craig uh, Villarubia as they're both co-founders of A Course in Miracles community called Miracle Share. And again, she's the author of this wonderful new book that came out uh, in January through New World Library. And if you want to find out more about Corinne, uh, her website is from anxietytolove.com. So I'd love to welcome to the show, Corinne. Welcome, Corinne.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I've been really looking forward to joining with you
0: awesome same here yeah especially it was so great to see you at the conference and especially i know that you're good friends with reverend maria and to see you do i think you were up doing the happy dance in one of your
1: Yep, we were up there happy dancing away.
0: (laughs) Weren't you one of the original creators of that as well, I think?
1: Yeah, there's actually a really funny Facebook video um, where we were practicing this happy dance as part of her talk. She and I were both presenters in a retreat called the Happy Dream Retreat. And as part of her presentation, she wanted to have a happy dance. So we were rehearsing and we had no idea that Craig Villarubia was videotaping us on (laughs) Facebook Live. So it's a funny video because you see our looks of shock when we realized that, that <laughs> we on can, Facebook Live.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. And I love, yeah, the, the whole A Course in Miracles community. Everyone's so supportive. And I think that's a big part of your story is A Course in Miracles. But I figured we'd just jump right in and just talk a little bit about your own personal journey, especially with anxiety and A Course in Miracles.
1: Yeah. So my journey has been interesting because my greatest teacher in life has been anxiety and anxiety disorders and all the different forms that anxiety can take. And I joke around that I was born with anxiety. Maybe I didn't have it when I was really, really little, but I was actually diagnosed with separation anxiety around the age of two. So that happened after my mother had an ectopic pregnancy and just disappeared. And I, you know, she was in the hospital for a week and she was fine, but I sensed the severity of the situation, I think, as a young child. And that just triggered what I believe I was already prone to, mm. which was anxiety. And so growing up, I had a lot of phobias. I had a lot of obsessive worries. And over time, things sort of morphed and changed. And I really would be very triggered by fears of sickness. So if I had a physical symptom, I remember worrying intensely that I had appendicitis and all the worry, I didn't get appendicitis. Although (laughs) funny, I had it later when I was in high school, but I ended up with an ulcer at the age of 12. And so there were these really, you know, significant worry patterns that I had. And, you know, of course my mom got me into counseling and did everything she could to help me, but it was like this, brewing, festering thing that just sort of built. And when I got into college, which is a time when mental health issues surface for a lot of people, I broke down with my very first panic attack at three o'clock in the morning. It was the morning after I learned about a death on campus that happened very suddenly, which just unraveled me at Mm. the scene. And this question came to mind. And I had like about these types of questions for a long time, the question came to mind was, if God is love, you know, people like to say, oh, God is love, God is love. But if God is love, how can a loving God create things that die? Like, Mm -hmm. how can a loving God create things that die? That didn't make sense to me. And there, that question was smack in my face again, when I learned about this student having passed away. And the at three o'clock in the morning, it was like this abrupt, I felt, it felt like a punch in the stomach of stress hormones. And I was just overwhelmed with fear, with shaking, with feeling like I was going to just, you know, spontaneously combust that I was just going to mm. die and terror, absolute terror in my heart. And that anxiety, that was my first panic attack. It, the acute periods of that would last for a couple weeks at a time, but wow. Yeah, it, it was really intense. And then, you know, as that sort of got a little bit better, I'd still get out of the blue panic attacks for years. So hmm. it could sometimes happen at night. Mostly it was during the day. Sometimes it was just untriggered. Other times, you know, I'd have like a fear thought and that would trigger it. So it was really, I was, I was in a really rough shape. And yeah. at that time when actually I had the the first panic attack, my mom had previously tried to talk to me about this blue book called The Course <laughs> in Miracles*, and I, with teenage defiance—and I say this in the book—you know, I, I'd cover my ears with my hands and I'd be like, "La la la la,", la. like I don't want to <laughs> hear it. Speak to me in English, because, you know, to to the course is really like another language. So it it didn't mm-hmm. sound like it was in English to me when she tried to talk to me about it. And yeah, but when I was in such a place of desperation when I hit my rock bottom and I thought I was losing my mind for good. Like I never thought I was going to come out of that. She offered it to me again. And I was like, I will try anything. I will try absolutely anything because clearly the way I'm running my ship is not working. (laughs) It's sinking, Mm -hmm. you know, driving it straight into the ground. So when she gave me the book, this, this additional, you know, she offered it again and I was like, heck yeah, I'll try anything. I remember reading those initial words of, uh, as the Course says, nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. Yeah. And that kind of made my eyes cross. I was like, what? You know, <laughs> like, I had no <laughs> idea what that meant. But something in me, it was it, it was as if this like faint light in my heart suddenly grew really bright there was something in me that understood that even though i didn't get it with my head Mm -hmm. and it was experiences like that that i'm sure you can relate to where you're reading the course and you don't quite get it but there are parts of it that sink in and create this feeling inside of such resonance and such peace that's what motivated me to keep going so I'd love to say that my anxiety was just healed right then and there and it was <laughs> not it was definitely a journey but the interesting thing I like to think about fear as a shapeshifter so hmm. if you think of a leaky rusty pipe if you plug one hole what happens it just the water will just find another way out right and that was kind of my first 11 or so years of working in the course was that I was using it to like feel better temporarily, but it wasn't, I wasn't actually having that transfer of trust Hmm. from this fearful thought system to a loving thought system. I wasn't, I wasn't fully doing what it said. So in 2009, I actually found myself in the midst of another you know, I I described it as like my psyche exploding, another mm-hmm. really really debilitating episode of anxiety, and at this point I had like eleven years of studying the course under my belt, so I was like, what's going on? Yeah, that's when I realized that I had been kind of using the course as a bandaid. I was <laughs> doing it to try to have a prettier picture, you know, have a better life, not to actually shift my identity from something in this world to realizing that like, wait a second, actually like, we're all something much greater than what we, than what we think we are. So that was when I really started having big shifts of the anxieties really falling away. And I can Hmm. give examples just about things that I'm doing now that I could never do before.
0: Um, Flying,
1: being like the the big one, um, (laughs) I started writing that was that was 2010 when I was coming out of that anxiety episode and I started writing about what was helping me and so Mm -hmm. the result is from anxiety to love everything all the principles of the course that were helpful to me are in that book it was like my my pathway the course miracles has been my pathway out of hell. So that's kind of it in a nutshell.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and that's quite a journey. And I really appreciate it, especially you sharing that portion of having studied the course, but still going through, you know, some more anxiety texts, because I've had a very similar experience. And it's very humbling.
1: (laughs) It sure is. It sure is to really, you know, it it helps us see that when when our thoughts get in there of like, oh, I'm doing good, or like, I'm progressing or I am, you know, really getting this. Wait a second. Like who's doing that judging? You know, it's a small self. And so there it is another chance for us to step back and say, I don't know what anything is for. I don't know why this is coming up, but I am willing again to bring this to the light, to look at this, you know, with the Holy Spirit, with your inner therapist, as I call it in the book. Yes.
0: I love that. And I definitely want to talk a lot more about the inner therapist. Um, well, I mean, this might be a good time to talk about it, actually. Like, how did you discover the language and then the ability to work with this inner therapist and then, you know, be able to heal through this?
1: Mm-hmm. Great question. So, the Course actually says that the Holy Spirit is the only true therapist. That's a paraphrase. And I can't remember exactly where in the Course that is. It might be in, psycho- in the psychotherapy. Yeah,
0: camp. I think so. But, yeah. yeah. I- But But you're right, it's somewhere
1: in there. (laughs) Yes, it is somewhere in there. And I realized, you know, I worked with many, many different therapists over time and they all served me well and helped me along in my journey. But I realized that, you know, nobody out there could do this miraculous shift that I needed. Nobody out there could do it for me. I needed to find that for myself. You know, when I broke down with um anxiety my mom had said and i think i included this in the book that you know she recognized that this had been building in me since i was a baby and that she couldn't actually fix it for me she could try the best she could to give me tools but that the healing had to come from within me so recognizing that recognizing that all healing comes from within and learning through the course, you know, that the Holy Spirit, our inner therapist, is this healing part of our very own mind. It's nothing separate from us. That's the risk of sort of thinking of it as like, you know, an, a therapist, an inner therapist. It's not separate. Even the Holy Spirit isn't separate. We have to remember that this is part, you know, of our very own mind. Um, as we turn to this part, and that quote that you started with, that I quote the course out of my book, is, is everything. It says, again, yeah. I'll just read it again. Do not leave yeah. any spot of pain hidden from his light and search your minds carefully for any thoughts which you may fear to uncover. Our inner therapist, the Holy Spirit, our job is to bring our gunk <laughs> to <laughs> this healing part of our mind and we exchange it for a miracle. We exchange mm-hmm. it for an experience of, of love and of peace and of joy, we're not asked to self-correct. We're not asked to do our inner therapist job. And in my experience, like in therapy, for instance, with cognitive behavioral therapy, and I'm not knocking it, it's very valuable for many, many of us. And I believe it's a, a you know, an important step along the journey. Mm-hmm. It's all about disputing, you know, our irrational thoughts. And that's helped, that was helpful to me for a point to a point, but, you know, death is a reality (laughs) and (laughs) disputing that like didn't help me at all. I really needed a spiritual answer. Like I needed to go really, really deep to really begin to question everything as the course is asking us. So it's through the Holy spirit, through our inner therapist, which is within us that true healing comes because we get an experience of the true nature of ourself which again is love and eternal and innocent and holy, holy peaceful. And that experience is what heals. That experience is what helps us transfer our trust from our small self, which you could say is Corinne (laughs) to our capital S self, which is this, you know, this united connected self that we all share. So being willing and and open to calling on this part of our mind is everything. And this is where true healing comes from. True healing comes from the mind. It comes from the mind.
0: Yeah, definitely. And especially um, what I love about the book is that you're giving really practical examples of how to work with the Holy Spirit or inner therapist, because that's some of the biggest questions that I'm still learning how to do it myself, is how do you work with this inner therapist or Holy Spirit. And so I was wondering if you could give an example or two of how you actually work with the inner therapist or did to get through, especially that last round of uh, anxiety attacks.
1: Yeah. So it's funny because the section that you read that course quote from in my book is about Mm -hmm. radical honesty. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And this is a big one. And this actually, you heard me talk about this in um, San Francisco at the Course in Miracles conference. Right. Radical honesty means that we get so honest about all the crap that goes through our minds that we get really, really honest rather than brushing aside a socially unacceptable thought or a judgmental thought or a self-deprecating thought rather than just saying like, oh, you know, whatever, I'm just not going to like, I'm just going to ignore that, pretend like it didn't happen. We're actually asked to bring those thoughts or again, rather than fix them ourselves, we're asked to bring those to the light. So I like almost thinking about this as like a riverbed with lots of stones. There's lots of like, you know, river stones at the bottom of a riverbed. And I I picture bigger stones just for the sake of my hand, easily picking up a stone. And Mm -hmm. each time we say, Oh, Hey, you know, I just had that really ugly thought, or I just, I'm having this feeling of anxiety Rather than run away from it, Holy Spirit, inner therapist, I'm willing to look at it with you. And what that is symbolically is like picking up one of the, those stones and exposing the dark side to the light. And what does the sun do? But it, it's cleansing, you know, it, it, it mm-hmm. brings light to those, those shadow sides and the shadows disappear. So I really like thinking about this idea of being so honest that when we are honest with our inner therapist this is the really a, a big step in healing is bringing our darkness to the light so to give you some practical examples about how like in this you know the 2009 episode of anxiety how i came out of that and actually i'll even get more specific early morning anxiety was something that i used to get really intensely i'd wake up in the morning And for no reason, it was like my chest was tight, everything was Mm. constricted, I just felt anxious, I just felt like I, and what I would typically do would just be to like jump out of bed and start doing something because that would just make the anxiety go away. Mm. And what I realized was that, wait a second, I'm just going to be brave enough, even if it's for a split second, because for folks with like really intense anxiety, you might not be ready for this yet. But you can do this in an instant just in your mind with saying, you know, inner therapist, this is what I'm feeling right now. And I'm willing to look at this with you. And so I would actually instead lay there with feeling that discomfort, imagining that I was bringing it to the light, bringing it to the Holy Spirit. And what would happen, it was like just how the sun starts shining on fog and therefore the fog burns away it was like that. It was like, it would just start to shift and I would, I would, and and evaporate. And I would find that it would just sort of, you know, go away. Or if there was something that I needed to explore a bit more, I might journal, I might say, okay, I can identify mm-hmm. that, you know, the anxiety is linked to all these things. So for instance, in the book, I would, I, I talk about making laundry lists of your fears. Mm, right. So if I would wake up early in the morning and have a lot of anxiety and I could identify, you know, why I was anxious, I would write down those fears. Okay. So I'm afraid of, um, you know, a meeting, not going well later. I'm afraid of having to be in this big crowd of people. I'm afraid of getting sick, whatever it is, listing out those fears. And then I'd ask myself, I'd try to dig a little bit deeper. What are these fears? show me that i believe right now and you know if i if i'm afraid of getting sick what does that show me that i believe it shows me that i believe i'm susceptible to sickness it shows me that i actually actually believe that i am a body <laughs> it shows yes. me that i actually believe that i am separate that this world is real that it is our home and those then are those underlying beliefs that i can now look at clearly with holy spirit and so I'd literally go down the list and I prompt everybody to go through this in the book. You know, I'm willing to look at this belief with you, Holy Spirit. I'm willing to look at this one. And we hand those over and we ask for the miracle instead. Now, I do want to add that that can sound like a lot of work. (laughs) And it doesn't have to be, in some cases, I needed to do that because I was in such a not of anxiety. I needed a process to go through to start to untangle that anxiety. We really only have one false belief in our mind that needs healing. And that one belief is that we are separate from love, that we are separate from God. When that belief goes, every other false belief goes with it and love is immediately restored. So the course actually says that you do not need to follow fear through all of its circuitous routes <laughs> at all and that's important for us to remember because the moment we think oh i'm such a mess i have so much work to do this is going to take forever <laughs> the the moment we think that that's just that ego voice that's just that fearful voice getting in there again and trying to take over so it's important that we you know allow ourselves to be where we are and recognize that this every mistaken thought can be undone in an instant simply through having willingness.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. And basically, it's, I mean, you were kind of going through the first five steps, which is the five steps to hand it over. And then you have five more steps, which is to strengthen your choice. And um, that's what really I got a lot of value out of the book was actually you have actual practical steps and then activities that you can do like journaling. I think every step had like some journaling.
1: Journal uh, prompts. Yeah.
0: Prompts. Yeah. And that's been really helpful. And I mean, you're basically going through that process. And then the other five steps, which is to strengthen your choice. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So I'm actually opening up the book to to take a look. So the additional steps are really there. So I'll I'll talk about the first one because this is a really key one. The additional steps are there because, okay, let me back up for a moment. The... Main recipe in the book, I call it, you know, the recipe for healing. And it's what the course teaches. It's about finding your willingness to see your problem differently, giving your willingness over to your inner therapist and asking for that miracle, and then trusting that it's done. Mm. We might go through that and be like, okay, great. I just did that. Nothing happened. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's because the ego loves to make things complicated. healing is actually so simple. so i break down those three steps a bit more and th- those are the you know the steps for that whole section of the book and these additional steps that you're talking about the the one that just jumped out at me when i opened up the book was a really key piece because if we the step has to do with unwillingness. if we hand something over and nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens. We might want to, again, use our radical honesty to ask ourselves, well, am I unwilling to heal? You know, is there some benefit I'm getting out of this negative thing that I might need to look at with my my inner therapist? The unwillingness piece is so, so important because it's like, I like to think of it as, you know, examining the ego through yet another angle by acknowledging our unwillingness to heal. So the, I'm just, I'm just looking in the book here. Um, if you feel anything, I'm just going to read this paragraph. If you feel Mm -hmm. anything other than a deep sense of peace or experience any degree of struggle, acknowledge it as an unwillingness to heal. Say, this is where I'm unwilling to, um, unwilling to heal. Here you go. Inner therapist keep at it. The universe is trembling with readiness to give us all the gifts that are already there waiting to be acknowledged. So I feel that that's another way that we can sort of, you know, look at the ego from another angle to help us move through that main healing recipe. Um, We have to recognize the next step is recognizing that we've handed it over. It's done. There's actually nothing to fear and we have to rest in that trust. The piece with resting in trust is that that's really hard. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard for us to sometimes just say, "Okay, I handed my problem over. I'm just going to rest and trust now." What we keep doing is picking back up the problem and we keep worrying about it because we that that always told me that I think I'm a better problem solver than the Holy Spirit because <laughs> I'm going to keep thinking about it and wrestling with it. So, what I would do and I this this was actually um and I'm pretty sure I have this in the book too. This is something that I would sort of test myself with. If I'm ready to let go and trust, like if I'm if I'm ready to give something to the Holy Spirit, to my inner therapist, I'm going to write that issue down on a piece of paper and I'm going to put it in a jar or a box. And once I put it in that box, I've handed it over. I cannot keep worrying about it. And with radical honesty, I will tell you <laughs> that there have been times <laughs> that I, I decided to not put that piece of paper in that box because I knew I wanted to keep worrying about it. Like there was actually mm-hmm. part of me that was not willing to let it go because I felt like, again, like I could problem solve better <laughs> than the Holy Spirit. And that's very telling. So mm-hmm. there again, I have to be, and I encourage throughout the book, folks to be so gentle with themselves and so accepting and so non judgmental of ourselves because the ego voice will be really good at beating ourselves up. We have to be so gentle. And if we're not willing to give something over, if we're not ready to put that piece of paper in a box, so be it. With that super loving kindness in our hearts, let's let ourselves be where we are and we can say, hey, Holy Spirit, this is where I am. And I'm willing to look at my unwillingness with you as well. So there's, there's a lot to this. And yet at the same time, it's so simple.
0: Yeah, and I I love that. And of course, talking about, you know, distinguishing between the ego and the inner therapist or the Holy Spirit. And one of the questions that I get a lot is, how do you tell the difference between the ego? And in this case, like the inner therapist, like what, what advice would you give? Or what have you learned?
1: Yeah. So that's a great question. I think we all know the voice of the ego really, really well. It's that fearful (laughs) voice. It's that judgmental voice. It's it's that belief system that tells us that we are separate bodies, right? It's that belief system that tells us that, you know, that this is all that there is and that I am just Corinne and nothing more than that. So that's the ego. We all are very well acquainted with it. The inner therapist, the Holy Spirit, the course says that the ego always speaks first and loudest. But it also says that the Holy Spirit always answers. And in my experience, the voice of the inner therapist of the Holy Spirit is quieter than the ego. It's much more steady and much more certain. It does not have that sense of like, oh my God, I got to do something about this now. <laughs> you know, there's no urgency to it. And so one of the, medit- one of the practices in the book is actually from um, I have a podcast um, show called From Anxiety mm. to Love Radio. And I believe it was episode eight where I interviewed John Mark Stroud, who's also, you know, a, a teacher. Oh, of, yeah. of. And I describe this activity in the book and folks can listen to it on my, my podcast where he talks about how literally the voice of the ego, which I, when I say voice, it's, it's, oftentimes more for me, a feeling. So it's not like I have, I hear a voice of the inner therapist, but it's a feeling of peace. It's a feeling of resonance or of intuition. So he talks about how those two voices, the ego and the Holy Spirit are literally on two different channels in our mind. So you would not go to, if you're listening to the radio, you would not go to a country music station And get mad that they're not playing hip hop. (laughs) You you would just change the channel and you would look to a different channel to listen to what you want to listen to. And it's the same way with distinguishing between the ego voice and our inner therapist voice. So if the ego voice is this like nagging thought in our mind that's like, you're no good, you should be further along on your spiritual pathway, blah, blah, blah chances are the holy spirit's voice is going to be in a different channel you might sense it in a different place in your body so this mm. exercise is all about and we can do this right now as you're as you're sitting here you can say holy spirit please direct my awareness to the place in my body where i can most easily attune to your guidance mm. and then just see where your awareness goes and you can then even just let it go and ask the question again. Holy spirit, inner therapist, again, please direct my attention, my awareness to the place in my body where I can most easily attune to your guidance. So see where your awareness goes. For me, it's like in my core. I've Mm. heard other folks say that it's in their hands or in their hearts. We have to just sort of Figure out where that is, and it might change, but that can be a place when we're asking for, for help, when we're asking for guidance, when we're asking for an experience of love. That's the place in our body where we can bring our attention. And one of the reasons why I really like thinking about it this way is that in the course community, and I was this way for many years, it's like, oh, the body, the body is nothing. You know, the body's not real. It's not who we are. We're kind of right. like really down on the body. <laughs> But we have to repurpose everything. We have to repurpose everything. So the ego would use the body to prove that it's real. But as we repurpose the body and give its purpose over to the Holy Spirit, to our inner therapist, now the body has a new purpose and it can serve to help us wake up. And so we can now tune in to that, you know, that, that sense, that knowing spot of where the speaks to us through our body rather than like dismissing the body as like, Oh, the body's no good. You know, that, that kind of talk. So I really like thinking about again, this, you know, this repurposing and tuning into that voice in your, in your body. So just to recap again, the voice of the Holy spirit is quiet. It's still, we have to listen. We have to pause. If we're always asking, help, 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 <laughs> and we don't get <laughs> quiet, we might not hear an answer. Getting quiet is so key. And that's also a big part of my book is that I have meditations throughout the book. So uh-huh. the meditations are there in print. I just released Hot Off the Presses, a the corresponding From Anxiety to Love meditations. There's a meditation album now oh, available great. on iTunes on Amazon. So cool. all the meditations in the book are set to this beautiful, music where I don't usually enjoy listening to my own recorded voice. Like I wouldn't typically <laughs> listen to my own meditation track, but I listen to these because I love, love, love the music so much. And folks can actually get, if you want to just sample the meditation album, you can download three tracks for free from my website um, at, from anxiety to forward slash meditation. So the meditation piece is a big component as well.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I'm so happy to hear that. I'm definitely going to go and get those. And I think this is probably a good time, yeah, to mention some more uh, ways that people can contact you. Uh, obviously, your website from anxiety to love.com. Um, any other ways that you would recommend people following you or getting in touch with you?
1: Yeah, so I'm on Instagram a lot. I've actually been having a lot of fun with that platform lately, because I do little like mini micro blogging, you know, on the, yeah. on the captions and and images. So Instagram is great. Facebook is also really fantastic. I have my Facebook page and I have a Facebook group. So I'm all across, you know, all the social media, but definitely the best way to connect is through my website. Or if folks want to go to my website and click on the events tab, or check my Facebook page and look at the events listings. I'm going to be doing lots of different speaking gigs from now all throughout the summer in all different you know, places and locations as, as part of my, my book tour. So there's lots of opportunities for folks hopefully to connect. I would love to connect with people in a live workshop. That's my most, most fun uh, venue is to be li- live with folks in the same room.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And you're going to be mainly in the U.S. or are you also doing international as well?
1: I'm mainly in the U.S. for now, but I actually will be speaking May 2019. The um, I think it's Miracle Network. I'd have to look for sure. I'll have the info on my website very soon. There is a Course Miracles conference in England, in Birmingham, Mm. England. And so I'll be speaking there May 2019. So I'm super, super excited about that.
0: Oh, that's Awesome. And will you also be speaking at the next next year's a Course of Miracles conference in Boston? Yes,
1: yep. yes. So mm-hmm. in Boston, yep, the Community Miracle Center ACIM conference. I will be there again as well. So so excited about that. It's going to sell out. So if folks are interested, um, definitely definitely pick up a ticket. And you can find tickets for that through my website as well.
0: Oh, that's great. And then through the the Miracle Share that you co-founded, you're also do online uh, conferences.
1: Yeah. So we, Craig, as you mentioned Craig before, and our dear friend, Danielle Scruton, the three of us teamed up a number of years ago to start doing virtual conferences because it's easy to attend a conference from the comfort of your own home. So we will definitely be doing that again. You can go to Miracle Share. Conference.org and um, find out. We, We did not do one in 2017. The last one was in 2016, but we do plan to do another one again, hopefully in the fall. So we pull together lots of different Course in Miracles teachers. We love, you know, everybody's a teacher and a learner. So we also have opportunities if if anybody feels moved to share in a conference, we have opportunities mm. for folks to submit videos, you know, of their own speaking and their own teaching for folks to to learn from. So that's a lot of fun as
0: well. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's nice to open it up to the community like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're all teachers and learners. There's nothing special about anybody who's, you know, up on stage or <laughs> has written a book. You just happen to just, you know, flow, flow that way. But um, we're all teachers and learners always.
0: Awesome. Great. Um, yeah, and I'll definitely post your website and for both of the Miracle Share and your personal website uh, up on social media as well for those that are listening. Um, but yeah, let's jump back into um, From Anxiety to Love. And one of the questions that I had, and I think it's it's um, a great question that uh, I got from your publicist as well, and because I have a family or a couple of family members that uh, just suffer immensely from anxiety, depression. I'm just curious, yeah, Like, what advice do you have to offer to those who are struggling you know, to find first that willingness to heal?
1: Mm. Love that question. So yeah. actually, I can answer this two different ways. First, I'll, I'll tackle the, the part about willingness to heal. We all need to ask ourselves, you know, am I willing to heal this? Am I willing to release this struggle? Because there, if we're radically honest, again, this is always about radical honesty, we might find that there are some benefits to our negative states of mind. So for instance, when I got radically honest about my anxiety, I realized that it was a great excuse to not do things that I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. It was a fabulous excuse. So I needed to learn how to say no <laughs> rather than mm. use the anxiety as a crutch to just say, oh, you know, I'm not feeling well or I'm I'm too like, you know, nervous about that. I, I don't want to do it. I just had to learn to be like, no, I don't want to do that <laughs> and not use that anxiety as an excuse. So getting super honest, if there are any positive benefits, because if we look really deeply, I'm sure we're going to find something that's key in, you know, finding the willingness to heal And the other way that I'll answer the willingness question, if you're struggling finding the willingness, so I think the easiest way to relate to this question is typically in a relationship. So if you're in a conflict Mm -hmm. with somebody and you ask yourself, okay, am I willing to see this differently? If you're radically honest, the answer might be, heck no, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I want to be right. They're wrong. I'm seeing (laughs) this the right way. And you know, they're not. So If you're asking yourself, am I willing to see differently? The answer might be no. And great if it is, you know, then you're being honest. That's fantastic. What you can then ask yourself is, am I willing to be willing to see this differently? So you can take it back a step or even further. Am I willing to be willing to be willing to see (laughs) this differently? And so eventually you're going to find that tiny bit of willingness to heal. You're going to find that tiny bit of willingness to give to your inner therapist. So that's, that's answering the willingness part. For folks who are in the thick of it right now, so for somebody, let's say, who is in the middle of a panic attack,
0: Mm.
1: there's just a few things to remember. Now, in my experience, the only magic switch to stop a panic attack in the moment, and I'm being totally honest, was like taking a a Xanax or like a pill (laughs) to immediately bring it down. Yeah, the everything that I'm talking about here is a process and we can even apply this still you don't you don't have to take a pill to get through a panic attack by any means. There are many many panic attacks that I did not but In the moment of having that heightened anxiety, you need to remember number one that this is happening in time and That means it's going to come to an end. It's it's not going to last forever It's going to come to an end number two telling yourself That you are not going crazy. I think that's Mm -hmm. the number one concern of a lot of people, especially in the beginning when they're having panic attacks, is that they're going crazy and losing their Mm -hmm. mind. And no, you're not going crazy. You are learning how to become more sane. And this is your training ground. So um, (laughs) that's an important piece too. And the third thing that I like to prompt folks to do, and this I've helped. I will tell you that when I was a full-time therapist in a college counseling center, I rescued a number of students who were having panic attacks like either in a stairwell or near the elevator or you know in random places I helped them through the panic attack with this technique. Wow. And that is when you're breathing or when you're having a panic attack and we can all do this right now. You don't have to have a panic attack to benefit from it. <laughs> if you're sitting here right now and you place one hand on your chest and your other hand on your belly.
0: Okay.
1: Notice where you're breathing from. Chances are that hand that's high up in your chest is doing all the moving. Chances are it's just your chest that's moving as you breathe. So right now, I don't want you to change your breathing at all. Just soften your abdominal muscles. Just release any extra tension in your abdominal muscles that you don't need to hold yourself upright if you're sitting up. And that tiny change of physiology can help to bring our arousal level down and help us move through, you know, a panic state much more quickly. Or if we're not even having a panic attack, it can just help us instantly feel more relaxed and calm. Because what happens is that we tend to lock our belly. We tend to tighten up our belly when we are stressed or when we are anxious and we start breathing from high up in the chest and that's a very shallow breath. If we can just soften those abdominal muscles, what's happening is that you're now just allowing yourself to breathe a more complete breath. If you think about a baby or a puppy when they breathe, mm-hmm. they're breathing with their whole belly, you know? They're mm. not they're not tightening. So if we can emulate that puppy or that baby and breathe like they're breathing with just softening the belly, that's that's going to really help us to feel more grounded and more calm. And that's going to help. That's a non-medicine way to move through a panic attack, you know, much more, much more um, quickly. So that's not obviously getting into the depth of everything that we've talked about so far, but it's a tool that we can use in the moment to help us pass through.
0: Yeah. I love that because again, I think I even asked you that question. I'm so glad you answered it. Cause I, And that was one thing I was curious about. And it was one thing that I've learned recently because I have had to get help for like that shallow breathing or anxiety when I'm doing certain things because of what I've gone through. And that breathing has really helped. And in my case, I've seen a hypnotherapist and she's taught me how to do like the box breathing where you breathe in for five seconds, hold it, breathe out for five seconds. It made a huge difference. I was blown away.
1: It really does make a difference because we as anxiety sufferers, you know, we start to breathe really fast and shallow and maybe at times take in a little too much oxygen which creates that like, you know, that lightheaded feeling. So right. the breathing can be so helpful to help bring our, our arousal um level level down. So it might not totally cure it, you know, it might not totally move us through immediately, but I am a big advocate for doing techniques like this. I I will address because I did bring up medication, you know, the course says that when fear has taken hold, um, you know, it might be the kindest thing to utilize a compromise approach where, where you are relying on what the course calls magic, meaning something outside of ourselves to, to help ourselves feel better. And so when I initially started struggling with panic and anxiety at that point, I didn't want to go on medicine because I knew if I started taking it, I would never want to go off of it. I'd be too scared to go off of it. So I wanted to find what brought about relief without any medication. And that's how I knew the course was helping me because I was finding that relief. Later in 2009, when I had that episode, um, I there were the anxiety was so acute and it was so intense and it was lasting for so long that I did choose to, without guilt take some medication when I needed it. And every time I took it though, I'd say, Holy spirit, I'm willing to look at, you know, this use of medication with you. I'm willing to look at my belief in it, that it has some power to calm me down. And I trusted that my need for it would fall away when I was ready to let it go. And that was exactly what happened. So I really take a very middle of the road approach with this and everybody listening you have to find what's right for you. Um, you know, at the moment of time that you're in, and not feel guilty about um, taking medication if you need it, because it's it's there as a tool, and we can trust that if we're giving it to the Holy Spirit, even if we don't remember in that moment, just give it later. You know, after you've taken it hours later, <laughs> um, we can just trust that the need for it will fall away when we're ready to let it go. And if it seems to hang on for a while, so be it.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that you advocate. Yeah, that middle way, because. To expect this to just, you know, snap of a finger to all of a sudden heal, um, mm-hmm. it's probably not very practical.
1: <laughs> you might get a little disappointed. <laughs> yeah,
0: a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I also wanted to talk about, because I, I, like you had talked about belief before and like, uh, especially the power of our thoughts, you also talk about different, um, like peace inducing uh, shifts or perception shifts. And I was hoping you could talk, you know, I know you've got several, like uh, probably about 10, right? But if there's any that stick out for you that you wanted to mention
1: from the book. Yeah, so the peace-inducing perception shifts are some of our options that we have, this is from part two in the book of the ascent into peace. And this is, this is where I introduced that three-step, you know, recipe that I talked about before. Mm-hmm. And the peace-inducing perception shifts are really things to think. They are things that we can think about that, in my experience, were very peace-inducing. And one of them, well, the first one, I'll talk about the, the first couple the first one is that this is happening because it is an opportunity for me to grow. Mm-hmm. So I found in my experience that in the beginning I get so upset that I was having anxiety. I'd get so mad. And so like, I hated, I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. Cause it was so painful and I would just wish it away with all I could. And obviously it didn't just go away. And, I was feeding it. You know, that that desire to push it away, it like it was almost giving it fuel. So, rather than continue to do that, I was like, all right, you know, this isn't working. Wishing it away is not doing anything. I need to accept that it's here and I'm going to see this instead as something ho- instead of something horrible, I'm going to see this as an opportunity for me to grow. So, that change in perspective about whatever challenge it is in our life, it doesn't have to be anxiety, it can be anything can you be willing to see it as an opportunity to grow can you you know can you be willing to see it as a catalyst for helping you take the next step in undoing fear so that's a big one and that has been really helpful for me so that was the first shift the first peace inducing perception shift another mm-hmm. one that we will all be very familiar with who have you know for those of us who have studied the course before is the shift <laughs> of, I am not a body. Yeah. And I want to actually say a few things about this, because I was talking to someone recently who actually was not finding comfort in that teaching because this person felt like it it brought them too much out of their body. Like, you know, they didn't feel grounded anymore. <laughs> and that's not the goal of this teaching at all. The goal of this teaching of I am not a body is to be open to the idea that you who you are in truth is eternal and cannot die and cannot be sick and that that's your real identity that's that's who you are and that's who you are right now and so the teaching of i am not a body has been so helpful for me because my body would freak me out, you know, <laughs> like with with fears of sickness coming up with the, um, I was a master at hypochondria, you know, the latest mm. disease, I would always think that I had it, I'd be petrified of getting it, whether it was like SARS or swine flu or bird <laughs> flu, or, you know, what, whatever the latest thing was, right. um, it would it would terrify me. And so the idea that actually, you know, I'm not this body, That that this is my vehicle right now, seemingly but it's not actually who i am was incredibly incredibly comforting to me to recognize that there is this self in me that i can get acquainted with and that i can know better and that it's not this pile of clay the um one of my favorite spiritual teachers is a woman by the name of peace pilgrim and i'm not sure oh, if you've yeah. heard of her yes. yeah she I have a write up about her and some of my favorite videos about her on my website. So if folks are interested you can just search for Peace Pilgrim on my website. But she is a woman who who from 1953 to 1981. She walked around the country and into I think parts of Mexico and Canada with no belongings, and she just trusted that she would be given food when she needed it. Um, she, she fasted until given food, walked until given shelter, and there weren't more than like a few days here and there where she ever went without those things. So her message was one of trust. And she said, I am not the body. I am that which activates the body. Mm. And I always loved that. And she'd also talk about how the body was like a clay garment that we're just, you know, seemingly wearing right now. And mm-hmm. and those teachings were just always so helpful to me because, you know, things about my body could could freak me out so much. So does that, does that all make sense?
0: Definitely, yeah. And I think, yeah, for those, if, if there is any, I mean, most people know from listening to this show, we talk about A Course in Miracles a lot. But, yeah, I mean, there might be some folks out there that still haven't, gotten into the whole idea that this is all an illusion and mm-hmm. our bodies are just part of this illusory dream which yeah it, it I think some people freak out when they hear that yeah <laughs> and other people find it liberate, completely liberating
1: totally liberating totally liberating you know the the course says that to actually get this course you know to really to really like dive into the course and really start healing from it It says that the insignificance of the body has to be an acceptable idea. So what you just said is beautiful that some of us hear, you know, this, I am not a body and we feel liberated by it. And then other, other folks hear that and they're like, what, (laughs) you know, (laughs) no way. So, so for those of us who feel drawn to this pathway, it's, it's an acceptable idea. You know, we're okay with this idea of the body being not our reality, But this also speaks to the fact that there's not a one size fits all spiritual pathway that we all are going to, we all have to find what works for us and dive into it wholeheartedly. And I'm an advocate for finding one pathway that resonates with you and wholeheartedly diving in. Because in my own experience, if I was doing too many different types of practices or different pathways, it ended up being a little bit confusing. And I found that I just, I didn't feel like I was taking steps as quickly as Mm. when I was just like totally diving in, you know, to just the course. But that's my humble opinion. And we all have to find what works for us.
0: Exactly. I think, you know, we're ready for um, whatever path speaks to us. And I think that's kind of like, even with how the Holy Spirit works, just very gentle, not pushy, You know, it's not like, oh, you have to do A Course in Miracles. Like, uh, I think that, you know, especially for someone going through anxiety, that's like the last thing you want to do, try to push something else
1: onto them. Exactly, exactly. Because what what, what happens when we push, but there's usually resistance. And, you know, it's a perfect example early on with my mom where she was trying to introduce this to me. And I was like, heck no, I had to be ready. (laughs) (laughs) I had to be totally ready.
0: Exactly. Even though I, you know, I agree, too, uh, from what I found, A Course of Miracles, like, definitely can cut time down significantly, and especially the potential miracles that you can experience and the, the level of healing at the for the mind. It's incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I'm just so personally, you know, I will forever be so grateful and so thankful for A Course of Miracles, because it has been the one sole reason why I no longer have panic attacks anymore, why I no longer have anxiety anymore. And I, I referenced earlier that I could touch upon the changes that have happened within me. Not only do I not have the panic and the anxiety anymore like I used to, but to give a very solid example, flying in airplanes used to terrify me to the point where like, from the moment I booked a flight until, like, you know, three months later, when the flight actually happened, it would be on my mind wow. very often. I'd be very, very anxious about it. And I remember I would write goodbye letters to my family just in case, you know, wow. the plane went down. like i it was really, really anxiety provoking for me. So yeah. when I would fly, I would either I, I would never fly alone. So somebody would always be with me. I would either be on medication or I would be in a state the whole time of just, breathing and meditating and trying to keep myself calm. And every bump of turbulence would spike my anxiety. Hmm. Now this flight to San Francisco to speak in the ACIM conference. And then two years ago when I flew to Vegas um, and actually a year ago, I flew to, um, to Los Angeles for a retreat, the retreat that I mentioned. So three flights now, over time where not only am I flying alone, but I'm not needing medication and I'm feeling so peaceful, even during turbulence, I've taken a couple selfies of like, look, like look at this happy face. It's, a th- it's authentic. You know, the plane's bouncing and I am fine because I know, I know in my heart that what we are is safe and there is this was a big realization for me. There is no up, there is no down. It's all the same thing. So I feel safe in the air as I do with my feet on the floor. So that has been very liberating for me.
0: that that is so beautiful. I am so happy for you. And I just, I can't say enough about how wonderful from anxiety to love is and that, you know, you even say you can have an anxiety free life. Uh, unfortunately we are out of time for today. Um, but I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show and that, um, My hope is that everyone runs over to Amazon, picks up a copy of From Anxiety to Love, or visits your website from anxietytolove.com.
1: Thank you so much. Your words mean so much to me.
0: Oh, thank you, Corinne. It was a true pleasure speaking with you, and I can't wait to see you speak again in the future. So I just wish you all the love in the world, and and keep on (laughs) anxiety-free
1: and teaching
0: that to everybody else. So thank you. Thank
1: you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right. Take care. If you'd like to learn more about Deepening with the Divine or Scott Kreitzer, please visit Kreitza.com krytsa.com. You can sign up for my newsletter and receive a free ebook download as well as many surprises and gifts throughout the year. The world needs more people like you, God minded and spirit workers.